This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asian Torah in, in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we're going to talk about a subject that maybe would never have dawned on you before, and this is something maybe you've never thought about, and that is that the story of your own life is in the way of your connection to God. The story of your life is in the way of the connection your connection to God. Does anyone here have a life story right now? Anyone in here have a life story right now? You have a life story right now? You have a life story right now? You think everything is your, the neighborhood you were born, the family, the sibling order, the, all the stuff that happened to you or didn't happen to you that you wished happened to you. All. you have a, do, is anyone in here right now have a life story? No, the answer is nobody does. Nobody does right now. You don't have that. I mean, I'm sure you could recall it if we were, you know, going to sit down for an hour. It'd probably take you more than an hour, but, you know, but I'm sure you could recall it. And if we had the time, we could hear it. And, but you don't have it. You don't have it. You'd have to recall it. And so, unfortunately, the, the life story of a person... Oh, by the way, I apologize. I'm coming from mountain biking right now. So I've been in the forest and I've had like branches and brush and trees like doing my pace a service today so if i look i don't even i didn't even look at myself i don't do i look the same as usual it's a little fuzzy though at the top a little fuzzy that's from the helmet anyway i just came straight from the mountains here and uh so I'm, I'm, I've been coming from the wilderness. We've been waiting for some dry weather just to get mountain biking. I told one of the riders that if there was one more day of rain, I would have killed somebody because I needed to get on that bike and hit those trails. Every muscle in my body has fired about a thousand times from, you know, when you're doing technical riding, like your whole body's muscles you didn't think you had are being used just to get down these technical you know, faces of these mountains. I mean, some of these things were insane. Baruch atah adonai, lehinu melech ha'olam, shahakum nebrubo. So I, I sometimes speak about a guy I met who has a, a um, disease that he can't uh, remember even a minute ago. So you got to keep an eye on him because, you know, he, he can't retrace steps. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't even know you're related to him. Uh, obviously, it's his family who's keeping an eye on him the most, but he doesn't know who they are. I mean, he knows totally who they are because he's the most present guy you've ever met, so he actually knows who they are better than anybody. But he doesn't know exactly who they are in that he has no recollection of who they are. So he'd be just as happy to have you with him as his brother. And he'd be perfectly happy to have no one with him, too because he would have no recollection of what it is to have someone with him. But why I like to bring this guy up is he was the happiest person I ever met. I wouldn't want to be him, but he was certainly happier than me. And I'm pretty darn happy. (laughs) But he was happier. Because he carries no story with him. There's no narrative that has anything to do with... There's nothing in his past that sheds light on the present. And therefore, what does he have total access to? If nothing in his life sheds light on the present, 
What does he have total access to? Everything. To the well, to the present. He has total access to the present. The difference between him and you is you have a whole story. And so you can't help but filter out now through the story. In fact, every one of you is listening to this class totally differently than the other. And if we asked you, which we do ask for evaluations, by the way, so please uh, eventually fill out an evaluation uh, after this class. But there's, there's... this moment is being filtered out and each one of you differently. So if you wrote on the back of the paper what this class was about, every one of you would have another thing to say. Hopefully there would be something in common. And obviously the job of an educator is you want as many people to say the same thing as possible unless you're doing something truly artistic, which I'm not. So then you'd want more or less agreement on what you said. How much of the past do you think you need to get through this hour together in this class? How much of the past do you need? How much of your, how much of your life story is necessary for right now? Speak. What? Speak. Well, for me to speak, uh, maybe for you to know English. Yeah. But I think that comes unconsciously. It's true. It does. It comes un, You need that, but it comes unconsciously. You don't... I don't think you need much of a storyline to have your English working for you right now. It's just that you've had so much English in the past that you're doing fine without that so much. And it's pretty unconscious. You're... Yeah, you don't really need anything, do you? You don't need much for that. How about meeting a stranger? You need some of that? What do you say, ladies, meeting a stranger, a male stranger? Would some past help? Possibly to have empathy with them and maybe you've been through situation. The answer is yes, past would help. Past stories, horror stories, <laughs> newspaper stories. Just being wary, you know, noticing maybe he's starting to team up with you a bit, you know, a stranger, and he's saying, oh, I'm also going there. Or, I mean, that's called teaming. You notice he's teaming. Teaming's a red flag. <laughs> A man who's a stranger starts teaming with you. That's a red flag. Maybe fine, and maybe he's just the friendliest guy. All friendly people team. But he's a stranger, and why is he teaming? He hasn't known me long enough to be teaming. There's several. You should know, by the way, there are several red flags to know about. But would past help if you're meeting a stranger, yes or no? For sure, past helps. And in the scenario I spoke of, of being a, a woman who's got a guy now who's strange and, and kind of, you know, joining you on some journey to your shoe store, you know. I also need shoes. You're like, I need women's shoes. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm buying shoes for my daughter. Can I see a picture of her? So there's nothing wrong with a little past here and there, but how often are we with our whole story right in front of us? For example, uh, embarrassing moments following us into public places. Meaning, uh, uh, everyone take a moment, like think of an embarrassing moment when you were a kid. Everyone think of that. It's one embarrassing moment. 
Okay. Think of a moment. Okay. You got a moment? How old are you? It's 10 years old. Uh, you willing to share? You don't have to. Uh, sure. Um. You should know if you share it, it's going to lose about half its power over your present. Okay. It's, but I'm not sure if it's embarrassing in itself. It was embarrassing for you. Uh, I, I was like, uh, I just got like a bowl, a bowl as my present gift. A bowl? Yeah, a basketball. Oh, a ball. Yeah, a ball. Sorry. Yeah, it's like a salad bowl <laughs> for a ten-year-old boy. <laughs> That'd be embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, my, and at that time, my parents didn't have that much money, so it meant a lot to me. And some some other guys just took it and says this is worth nothing, and they just like kicked it and like throw it, and, and it was lost. And yeah, it was. It was Whoa! Sad. What a crushing story. Yeah, that's a crushing story, and it meant a lot to you, the ball. Yeah, a lot. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me, are you good at lending things? Lending? Are you good at lending your stuff to people? Yeah. You do? You're a good lender? Yeah. Actually, I don't care about it. You lend stuff? Yeah. That's nice. I, I got disconnected from things, actually. The, other, the opposite. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> if I lose my ball, I don't care anymore. Like, uh, anymore. <laughs> uh, how are you at long-term relationships? Not good. Because you learned that your survival strategy is just let go of things. Yeah. Your strategy was, it's too painful to get attached. Yeah. So you just unconsciously will release things. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See how his life story is not going to be very helpful for, for relationships. Do you get what I'm saying here? So, so now having that life story might be important for certain things like, um, like, um, let's say the person you're interested in dating is not to be trusted. So there your story is helpful. But if they are to be trusted, then that's a very unhelpful story for, for long-term relationships. So what you, what you realize is you're, you have your past filtering in now, is it filtering in consciously or unconsciously? What's your name? Do you think for Joseph it's filtering in consciously or unconsciously in his relationships? Unconsciously, for sure. You're fil- it filters in unconsciously. And now, do you think that Joseph or any of you have more than one story or just one? <laughs> lots of stories. Lots of stories. And each one meant something else. And each one had us make certain moves. Like his move was let go quick. Each one of our stories had us make a move. You know, we learn to make certain moves in life. And, and the crazy thing is we start to know ourselves that way. Like that becomes our personality. So everyone kind of knows the moves we make. And who are the people we like the most? People who, who um, stamp approval on the moves we make. And that's who we'll call friends. Our friends are people who accept our, the moves we make. Even though those moves might be really bad for us, which means you're not going to have that many friends. But there are certain people who are, will, who 
who you call friends are the people who accept your moves. And so what would naturally happen is you'd attract people in your life who have a similar type of thing. So no one gets too tight, but no one's, no one's too loose either. They're just kind of, you know, it's live and let live type relationships. And all those people will find each other. And then the people who are close to you are the people who get your moves because they have those moves or, or they're stuck with you. They're, they're your sibling or your parents or, your, or you know, they, they have no choice because you're family. Mind taking whatever that book is off the chumash there, please? Yeah. Lynn, was it? Does that explain why if you change as you're going along in life, all of a sudden you don't you want to change your friends? Mm. I mean, wow, what a deep insight that is. Is that, let's say you actually, tra- let's say, for example, Yosef transformed that. So suddenly you just have a whole new world of people getting coming towards you and the people that normally would be around you who who were the you know the people who accept your moves you don't make those same moves anymore so you're gonna have like kind of a new group of friends all of a sudden it'll happen naturally it'll be fine you know they'll just uh you'll just you'll just kind of get a new group that's really cool yeah that's That's pretty neat it's pretty neat yeah i'm sure as i studied judaism now, my whole circle of friends where I live are all Jewish women. <laughs> and that wasn't even a word until you just made that point. Uh-huh. And it shifted. It shifted. As you made your moves. I made your moves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did my shirt untuck it? Why, what's going on with me today? Lost too many pounds on the back. <laughs> how, are you, how are we supposed to have time to eat anyway? <laughs> Seriously, any of you guys have time to eat? People, people ask me sometimes. So, when you become observant, do you still watch movies? And I'm like, show me two free hours, and I'll let you know if I watch movies. How am I supposed to know? Like, anyone have two hours to burn? Hour and a half to burn? Like, I, I, I can't even eat. And it's not because I'm like overly busy like you know like a harried person who's overly busy with things I'm I'm perfectly scheduled and love every minute of my day every day and it's it's great and, but I just don't have I just the only thing I don't schedule is food because food think how long does it really take the truth is I, I ate a bowl of rice and lentils before I came here an entire bowl of rice and lentils it was a little too hot so I added cold water because the entire intake of the rice and lentils was I think a total of 35 seconds. Because my wife's like, you didn't eat. And she handed me a bowl of rice and lentils. And I went, oh, thank God. Made a bracha, and I'm like, <laughs> burn my mouth. Went to the cold sink, onto her rice and lentils. So it became rice and lentil soup. Just to cool it off. If the story is not meant to help, then why do you have it at all? It's an excellent question. Uh, I could give you a couple answers why you have the story at all. One is to help people. 
because now you get that more than anyone else. So when you see someone, someone might come to you one day and just say, you know, I just can't hold on to relationships. And you'll be like, you came to the right place. Let's talk. No, it's the wrong place because I don't know how to either. Oh, you're going to. Oh. By the end of this week, things are already going already to shift for you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. This is one of those things where once you get the insight, you know what I mean? There's like, it's one of those aha moments. Like there, there's a mountain bike company that makes three different bikes. One's called a, um, one's called a, a moment. That's their, that's their long travel downhill bike. And then they have another bike that's called the, um, truth. And that's their short travel cross country bike. But the bike I had was an amazing bike. It was right in the middle. Like it had the same long travel, but super light, like the cross country bike that you climb with. And because long travel bikes are heavier, they're not easy to climb with. But this had the lightness of the truth, but it had the, the, the suppleness, the plushness of the moment. Guess what it was called? It was called an epiphany. <laughs> I rode the epiphany. It was about double the price because the only way you can make a long travel bike that light is you got to start getting into carbon and titanium and, and other high-end parts to get the lightness of the truth. But the the aggressiveness of the moment. And you know what their advertisement was? It was amazing. They said, when you have truth in a moment, it's an epiphany. When you get truth in the moment, it's an epiphany. Most growth we have, it takes time to get to the truth. You know, you gotta like, life happens and you gotta get to it. And you know, by the third marriage, you got it. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys were awake. <laughs> Meaning, truth comes slow for a lot of people. Truth comes real slow, not in a moment. But once in a while you get truth in a moment. And that's called an epiphany. And an epiphany is when there's this aha moment where it's just like everything shifts for you. And we only focused on one story because he happened to have, I called on him. But we, each one, each one of us has story upon story upon story. And you want to hear the crazy thing? Every one of your stories... You made moves. And those moves to you seem like the most functional moves you could have ever made. They're so not functional, it's a joke. <laughs> you understand? Your moves are crazy. All your moves are crazy. Which is the funniest thing. Because to you, those moves made all the sense in the world. Like, those seem like, oh, that'll be a good way to navigate through life. And so you just navigate based on those moves you made. And therefore, now listen carefully, we're moving on now. And therefore, you're projecting, thankfully you have eyes and ears and stuff, you're projecting into the future. You're projecting into the future on everything. <laughs> Meaning you're filtering everything out based on the story of your past to never ever wind up in that situation again. I mean, you're, you're, just, you're, you're ready to make your moves, but you've got to decipher the terrain. You know, it's like back to mountain biking. Like, I'm ready for all my moves, man. I'm, when I'm riding, even when I'm on the flats, about to hit the next pocket of uh, obstacles and stuff, I'll generally, like, kind of bounce into my suspension a bit just to, like, keep my muscles ready because I'm about to hit some gnarly stuff. And so I'll, I'll just kind of bounce into my suspension a bit. I'm cranking, you know, serious rock and roll so so I like bounce to whatever I'm listening to no vocals because I can't be distracted with content you know it's like you know it's just heavy 
heavy hitting music and uh, and no no content at all and just bouncing into my suspension getting ready for the next I'm, I got my moves ready but then I hit the terrain and and there you got to work with what you see you got to work with what you see there and and so what you're doing is you're working with what you see with the moves that you created when you're a little kid in an adult body. But I'll ask all of you, when Yosef cuts, when Yosef cuts clean of relationships or only relates to people who are willing to have that kind of clean relationship, because no relationships are very clean. You'll see when you're married, no such thing as clean relationships. Like the real relationships you get into are unbelievably mucky. There's a lot of murk and mire in, in relationships. And that's burning clean fuel. Like, I burn pretty clean fuel, and so does my wife. My, we're both, like, personal growth gurus. And it is full of murk and mire. And I can't imagine what all the people we help are dealing with. Well, I can't imagine, because they come to us to deal with it. But, but, like, we're dealing with murk and mire. Like, they for sure are. But when he has his loosely tied relationships, Yosef, over here, can I come hang out with you so it's more interesting? Because you're just a total stranger to the Facebook Live people. Do you care? You don't mind? Coming. So when when you're having your so when you're having your loosely loose relationships with people. Caring, I'm sure you're totally caring and like giving and like amazing, but but specifically attracting in your life people who don't like to anchor in too deep, yeah. and and you of course if they do you're gonna move the other way you're gonna you're not gonna hang around that person too much, and you're gonna keep it loose. But while he's making those moves, everybody, how old is Yosef? Twenty-two. He says twenty-two, but how old is he really? He said already. Who remembers how old? He's 10. Yeah, Lynn's like, oh. Uh Uh-huh. That he's 10. And it's not just Yosef, it's all of us. I mean, my, 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 me cutting conversations short with my father, which I did for 20 years, I mean, that man could not call at the right time. I mean, I've never met anyone with worse timing. With my father. And he just can't call at the right time. And every single time he called, it was like, what if I use your pen? It was like, yeah, Dad, it is really bad timing. I just can't speak right now. But I'll call you later. Maybe. Click. But you see, with my father, and maybe you guys know what I'm talking about, he would offer a lot of unsolicited advice when I'd speak to him. A lot often on subjects I knew nothing about and just didn't really understand what he was saying because it was generally monetary advice and I don't get money, that's why I'm a rabbi you know, like <laughs> I just don't understand the stuff so much so, but he had like a million things to say every time I spoke to him about money and, and most of them often about my irresponsibility with the subject which made me feel like I was 30 
two or nine? Which one? Nine. Nine. How long do you spend on the phone with somebody who makes you feel like you're nine? <laughs> can they ever call the right time? Ever? No. They can never call the right time. I would say to them, yeah, I'm, I'm going to Mincha. My father would be like, isn't it the morning? And I'm like, yeah, the minion's really far away. He's like, well, that's perfect. We could talk. And I'm like, we can't. Why not? I've got a meeting. What kind of meeting you got walking to Mincha? It's a phone meeting. Well, why don't you have your phone meeting with me? It's with someone else. We tried to talk later. Click. Now you know what I call that, by the way. I, just on that subject, is I call that orphaning. Orphaning is when you kill someone way before they die. And and you should know that when when people work with me, when I do you know work with groups and stuff in my seminar work, they, I I've gotten phone calls. I get them about once a year, where you know because there's a couple hundred people a year coming through the programs and. Yeah, I'll get a phone call about once a year saying thank you. So the guy says thank you so much because he had just mourned his father, and he said he sat with all his siblings, and he says he was the only one who mourned his father because everyone else mourned the fact that they killed him years ago. Because there's something about dead people that they suddenly get harmless. You notice that like people say the nicest things about dead people, but when they were alive. No one can say a nice thing about them. There's something about being six feet under that people lose their fangs and pointed ears <laughs> when they're dead. And so, <laughs> and so, what happens to the mourners is they're like, they get riddled with guilt that they knocked them off when they were teenagers. And usually the same teenagers will knock off the same father because that father was the type A father who's going to be offering all kinds of advice and makes you feel like a little kid and then so you, they orphan themselves. But this guy unorphaned himself because when I hang up with my father, am I 33 or 9? How old am I? I'm 9. And so what you begin to realize is that we're all just little kids making moves as adults. We're kids we're playing kid games as adults. And when you start to take responsibility as an adult for the way you're perceiving the world, and it's important to know the story you've been using. And all, you're, you have to know your moves too. But when you perceive your story and you know your moves, you can take responsibility for those moves. And once you take responsibility for those moves, you're now officially an adult. Good, Lynn. You're officially an adult. That's what an adult is. Because you know how, you know how like adulthood and responsibility kind of go together. You know, <laughs> you don't hand a five-year-old kid, you know, a thousand bucks to deposit in the bank. They're not responsible enough. They can't deal with that. They might try, but they just don't, they can't handle that level of responsibility. And as they grow, you get more responsible, more responsible, more responsible. So part of becoming an adult is becoming responsible, right? Well, maybe, maybe, but I see there's areas of responsibility. There's monetary responsibilities. There's taking responsibility. I love it when my kids start taking responsibility for their teeth. 
Because how many more times? And when you have a big family, I mean, you get tired of saying brush your teeth. You know, you got a lot of kids. So, like, thank God I'm down to one last kid who's got to be told to brush his teeth. And so, but I'm excited for the day where he takes responsibility for his teeth. And then eventually, you know, when my kids are married, then they start taking real responsibility for themselves. But how about what we're talking about today is taking responsibility for your story. Taking responsibility for your narrative that has literally been mopping the floor with your adult life. Taking responsibility for a childhood narrative that has been mopping the floor with your adult life. That's called adulthood. Adulthood is when you recognize, you recognize your stories quickly. You catch it quick. In fact, the quicker you catch it, the more of an adult you are. And it's okay if you fall into your moves. Not a big deal. And you're you're obviously obviously explaining to the person, like, I'm so sorry I, I dissed you. That was an old move when I used to be in relationships with people that didn't care about stuff like that. And I see I've hurt you. And that was an old move of mine. And I want to take total responsibility for doing that move. Because that's not me anymore. But I fell into an old move. And that's called falling. You can fall into your story. And you will fall in your story. And I follow my stories. I, I can be hurt easily and fall into some story and start moving. Start going into moves. And, but I catch my moves because I know my moves. You got to know your moves. If you know your moves, you'll, you'll identify them quickly. And then say like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's me going into my moves. And, and I'm quickly apologizing to somebody who, you know, that I was about to make a move on. You know, like, you know, which might have been getting aggressive, maybe a little angry, or, or maybe uh, looking for their compassion and their sympathy or some stupid move. Because I was feeling hurt inside. And I, me, my little kid was getting stepped on somehow. It's pretty embarrassing. It's pretty embarrassing to be an adult kid. You know, I, I, mean, I feel so embarrassed sometimes when, I, when my kid takes over. I'll tell you, though, I feel much better, though, when I take responsibility for it, meaning I'll, I'll call the person and say, like, I'm so sorry, but that was, like, totally dumb stuff from my past. And then I feel pretty good. But if I, let's say I can't even call the person because I didn't even know them. It was just my kid acting out in some situation. Then it's really embarrassing. It's funny, you'd think it'd be less embarrassing to own your story, but it's actually more embarrassing to not be able to own your story. You know, because whatever, the circumstances were such that you weren't, you never, you didn't catch it in time and you don't even know who that person is to call them and take responsibility. So then every time you think of it, it's like a very unresolved situation. I have a bunch of those. <laughs> How does that work as a father to your children? What do you mean? When your little boy comes out. With my kids? With your own family. Uh-huh. I don't have that happen very much at this point. But uh, 
let me think back a little when my when my kid moves would come out with my children. I'll tell you, my oldest kids got hurt pretty bad by some of my moves. Uh, one of my moves is one of my moves is is to be an attention vampire. And my first kids were now, you know, I've got grandkids for the, you know, already from my first, you know, daughter, my older sons, you know, he's 21 now. But when I was an attention vampire, the moves I made were kind of like, well, those kids already love me and give me all the attention. I would, I don't even need attention from my kids, really. <laughs> so attention's going to be out there. So I actually, like, I dissed my family. For the first seven years of my marriage, I dissed them. You know the word dissed? I dissed this distance them. Because I was too busy, like, trying to put my face on the globe, you know, Rabbi Glazer, the guitar, and the surfing, and the cool, you know, seven years. Nasty. But I caught it. And when I caught it, I held each of those kids and as carefully as possible explained to them. There's only two kids at that point. The other ones were little. And uh, I explained to them that Tati's, Tati, Tati's daddy in Yiddish, I said, Tati, Tati, you know, was embarrassed when he was a kid and, and humiliated. Because and, there was a story where I got humiliated. And, and uh, I'm just trying to feel okay and I've been, maybe I've put myself into a position where I'm too busy. Because if enough people like me or like my classes or my concerts, then maybe I'm okay after all. But, but in the end, it's hurt you because I haven't been around enough. And I'm, I'm going to change up my schedule from now on and the way I do things so that I can be a father for you. But I'll never forget that night. I woke them up to tell them that. And I spent the rest of the night awake with my wife. And we were just talking. We were just talking the rest of the night. And the next morning, which we saw the sunrise because it was just one of those epiphanous evenings. And uh, the next morning, my wife said something amazing. She said she felt like she was married for the first time. Yeah. Amazing. And we never had a fight. I mean, we were like couples counselors. We were like Asia Torah, like, you know, cover story <laughs> couple, you know, like we would get invited everywhere to be the couple, you know. And here we were like bluffing along, like she's pretending everything's great. And she's got this fantastic, charismatic rabbi husband. And she didn't know what was going on. I didn't either. I was just making moves. I was unconsciously moving. And, uh, and then took that responsibility for that, and I became more of an adult at that point. I was making other moves too, because we all make lots of moves. Now, I bet all of you forgot my opening line of today's class. My opening line of today's class is that your story is in the way of what I say. Your story's in the way. I myself don't remember what I said. But if I were starting the class again, I would say, you ready for this? Your story 
is in the way of your connection. Now, you connect to a lot of things. You connect to yourself. You connect to music. You connect to an apple. You connect to um, God. You connect to your parents. You connect to your siblings. You connect to your spouse or children. The opening line of the class, I don't know if I got interrupted or if I said it or didn't, I could rewind it you know, later, but that your story's in the way of your connections. I don't think anyone would understand that at the beginning of this class, but do you understand that now? Yeah. That your USB, I mean, USB cables can get gunk all over them and don't work so well until they get cleaned out. So it's like the USB cable got dipped in uh, tar or something. And so, you know, it's getting some power, but it's not like getting what it's supposed to. And wildly, you would never have thought, because you know what most people think, especially today's day and age, the observant Jewish community is like, everyone thinks they need to pray harder. (laughs) Seriously. People think, like, if they pray harder, they'll connect better. And other people think if they learn more Torah, that might help with connection. Other people think if they start keeping kosher, meaning if they were not either keeping it or they weren't careful with it, that maybe if they start keeping kosher, I mean, you, you get un, unlimited amounts of things that, because in Judaism there's an unlimited amount of things you can take on. So you get people just taking on stuff all the time, right? People are taking on stuff all the time to get more connected, more connected to themselves, to the soul, to God, to, to Torah, to. You hear what's going on here? And, and then winding up disappointed and angry and. You know, we, we live in a generation now in the observant community where, where Torah is, like, paramount. I mean, it's really just the importance that's placed on Torah study is, like, beyond. And you want to hear something crazy? You want to hear a weird statistic? So I've been running my seminars now for the Torah community for years now. But I just this year, I just finished a year where I switched it to Hebrew. So now I'm getting, like, real Torah scholars, like serious Torah scholars in there. All married, heavy-duty Torah scholars. That's who I'm getting. And so now I've had a year of them. So I'm up at to close to 200 of them because I, I travel a lot for seminars outside of Israel. But in Israel itself, I'm somewhere around 180 or maybe close to 200 participants. Maybe for the strangest thing. I mean, this is the strangest thing. But their number, so far, the number one theme that causes the most suffering is Torah. It's the weirdest thing. Number one thing. And finally, last night, I decided to tell them I'm running a seminar this week. So I decided to tell them, like, I'm just spellbound. I'm, I'm astounded. That the number one issue in this group, for sure, with the exception of, like, two of the participants, is Torah. Torah is ruining their lives. Because the importance they've placed on it and some kind of a, uh, some kind of a expectations on themselves. I don't, I don't know exactly what they're expecting from themselves because there's not one person, except for maybe, I would say there are five people of the 180 that 200 years ago would have been put with the rabbi of the community to study. I mean, you, you had, 200 years ago, you had to be the genius of the entire community to not already be a cobbler making shoes by the time you're 12. 
You understand that nobody studied Torah full time till they created yeshivas. Yeshivas are 200 years old now. So if you were born 300 years ago, you were done, you know, with your Torah career at about 12. 13 for sure, you were either making window panes or glass, glazers. <laughs> glazers make glass. The, uh, you were making shoes, whatever you were doing, but you were certainly doing it by 13. 12, you would train. 13, you're already making a living. And you were married by 14, 15, 16, something like that. Men. Men were married between 14 and 16. Girls were married between 12 and 14. And not just Jews, everybody. And everybody worked from 12, 13, can't just be dead weight, you know. It wasn't like, it wasn't like there were government programs. <laughs> there were no government programs, you know, to help the lower echelon. Like, that did not exist. And the, and so everyone, everyone worked. Anyway, but I told this group last night, because there wasn't one of them who was that level of scholar, and I said, there's not a single person in here. Had you been born for the first 3,000 and 70 years, because right now we're at 3330, 3330 years since Sinai. And this all started 200 years ago. So there's not one of you, had you been born for the first 3,070 years, who would be in here talking about how broken they are over their Torah study. None of you would have ever, that would never have dawned on you. You never even thought of such an idea. Which shows you the amazing success of the yeshiva system that they have created an entire generation, in several of them, of extremely depressed people. <laughs> Sorry, extremely dedicated to Torah people who are in, always in one way or another beating themselves to smithereens. I mean, this guy even opened the class before we even turned on the camera. Not Yosef, for those watching. But this guy, before we even opened the camera, was already saying, like, get me out of here, man. Like, this Tal Talmud's making me crazy. <laughs> but what a gift the Talmud is. What a gift. What a gift you've got to study this crazy, like, psychedelic, insane menagerie of wisdom that just cleans your brain out of every last cobweb of THC or any other thing you might have had in your, or just soft thinking, because all it takes really to live your life day to day without, if you're not into halacha, is soft thinking. You don't need to have a sharp brain. Why do you think all those Jews wind up at the top of every, there's reasons why Jews wind up at the top of every industry, but one of them is, is their brains work really well when they're raised in the places like like, you know, Karl Marx was raised, where as a kid he was studying Torah, you know, and, and as a kid, Einstein, Einstein didn't get to study Torah, but I don't think ever, he, although he said he wished he had that opportunity. He even said that if he was born again, if he could do it all again, he would have just studied Torah. That's amazing. And then there was, uh, and then there was, uh, what's that guy's name? They always mention him with the other two. Marx and Freud, Freud. Freud was raised in a chayda. He was raised learning to. And so you use that kind of brain and you try to, dis, you try to solve modern day issues with a Talmudic brain. Well, that's going to work pretty well. And not to mention finance, 
Jews have used their brains in finance to almost bankrupt all of America in 2007. How many people lost their home over the Jewish brain? You know, leveraging all kinds of crazy things, creating financial bubbles that popped all over, you know, people whose homes were suddenly worthless in the matter of like a month. Anyway, um, so our stories, our stories are, our, our life story is, is in, in Hebrew, we have a term for this, it's called chatzitza. Chatzitza is when you go to the mikvah, you're not supposed to have anything between you and the water. So if you're wearing like a tight ring, or your watch is on tight, or or your hair is knotted, or your beard has a knot, or you got a band-aid on or something. It's not a mikvah. Like, that's nice you went in the water, but it didn't do anything. You can't have anything between you and the water for it to purify you. So, um, there's a term for that, it's a barrier, yeah. It's a barrier between the water and your body. So your life story is a barrier between you in everything you dream of to connect to. And so rather than praying harder or studying more Torah or whatever mitzvah you want to take on, I still think you should pray more and study more and and take on more mitzvahs and tighten up your kashrus situation and start putting your tefillin on for heaven's sakes in the morning hours, not just before sundown. And, and that... Like, I believe everyone should tighten up their game Jewishly. We should all do that. But when it comes to feeling connected in our lives, the place you want to look is how much have you been filtering everything out based on some random story, (laughs) stuff that happened to you. It was pretty random with the ball and the kids. They could have just as easily not done that. Your life would have turned out totally different, you know? So the, the, it's a pretty random story, which was perfect for this class. And my humiliating thing that, you know, wound up spilling all over my kids, pretty ran- and wife, was pretty random as well. I mean, that story that happened to me was like the dumbest story ever. You know, like, it, it was just the dumbest story. And it could have just as easily not happened as happened, but changed the trajectory of, of my life, at least until I was 33. And... um and then the, um, the, and then the moves we make, all those moves we make. And then, and of course, that's all, if you're just constantly navigating based on those stories of your past, of course you're not going to connect to anything. Because I'm just, I'm just like being really vigilant to make sure I don't get hurt with you. And so I'm just, I'm. There's something between us, and it's called my story. My story is between us. And they've already discovered that when someone has a a ego dissolution, you know what that is, ego dissolution? Ego dissolution means that something happens to a person where their ego just shuts up for a little while, meaning their self-image just disappears. There are situations where someone's self-image can actually disappear. It works with meditation. 
There can be also circumstances. There can be musical events that can make it happen. There can be um, um, uh, prayer situations, you know, ecstatic prayer, obviously, not regular prayer. It's not going to happen, but, but it could be in an ecstatic prayer situation. I don't know when's the last time anyone here did any ecstatic prayer, but I, I'm part of an ecstatic prayer, prayer community. If anyone wants to try it, this week's going to be especially good because it's going to be Rosh Chodesh. So we'll have already done an, about two hours of ecstatic prayer, and then we're going to start Hallel, which is like, then it really goes through the roof. So, so the, uh, anyway, but that can cause ego dissolution. Obviously, there's, there's, uh, there's different compounds in the, world, in the natural world and even in the laboratory synthetic world which cause ego dissolution. You can just see the 1960s hippie movement for those compounds. Anyway, but whenever you get to ego dissolution, you get to love. You always get to love. And, and it, very interestingly, that that whole movement... The hippie movement, like in the end, what, why it's called the hippie movement? What is their number one theme? What's their number one theme? Love. Peace and love. <laughs> yeah. Peace and love. Stop fighting. Put down the guns. It's just everybody love each other. Did you know that the U.S. government actually airdropped LSD onto British troops? <laughs> and then filmed them. They were thinking of using it as a weapon. Now, we didn't have a problem with the Brits. Or maybe the Brits did. I don't know. You can watch it on YouTube. It's amazing to watch. It's quite interesting. It's on YouTube. Black and white. T- you know, it was way back. Uh, it was in the 60s already. But they understood the... They understood what's going on with ego dissolution. But you, you just can't... Part of, what's part of a person's narrative? That they're an American. Or that they're a British soldier. Part of their, they're an Iraqi soldier in a war with Irani soldiers, you know, like, that's part of the story. And what they discovered when they put this chemical compound on the, that was used in rock concerts at Woodstock in New York, and I wasn't born for these things, but, but the, uh, but when they put it on the soldier, you can watch the video yourself. They, they get rid of their guns. They're taking off their uniforms. They're all in their underwear. And then they start climbing trees and stuff, and they're all just hugging the trees. And they're, they're like, and they they were trying to see, well, what if we just put this stuff all over our enemies, and then we can just capture their land and enslave them, you know? But they were actually thinking of it. You can check that out. Google that as well. The U.S. government testing LSD for for warfare. And that was what it was all about: is to create ego dissolution for the enemy. Okay, everyone, may you all be blessed. Um, may we all be blessed to live clean, clear, connected, and as adults. Amen. And uh, please, everyone who watches my videos every day, we just optimized the website because people were complaining that it had a questionnaire. I kind of wanted to know something about people, but we got rid of the questionnaire. You can just literally go online and choose some amount. And I really don't care if it's a little amount, but if you're watching my videos every day, please join the club and give other people that opportunity by us expanding things. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.